Welcome to Week in Horror. You gotta be fucking kidding. The only podcast that will feed your horror need. The need to feed. With JL. Yeah, I'm a fucking masochist. I'll watch that shit. <laughs> Eugene. Somebody has to be the sex symbol. I'm sorry. <laughs> Alex. Shit, I just demonetize this forever. And Johnny O. How do you like that shit? Got half within a monologue. <laughs> Before I'm muting myself. Golly, it's one of the fucking days. <laughs> With industry guests. Hi, this is Richard Oakes, director of host. Hey, this is Adam Leader, director of host. This is Matthew Mark Hunter. I'm Don and Ellie. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. And this is Weekend Horror. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch! News, trivia, and more. One by one, we will take you. Join our live show Wednesdays at 7 central, youtube.com slash weekinhorror. And wherever you listen to podcasts, Week in Horror. Stay scared. Oh, Merry Christmas, horror fans. Jesus Christ, I need you to take it down a notch. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, horror fans. It's Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. That means it's time for another episode of the Week in Horror podcast, the only podcast that permanently made the naughty list. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast host, you can join us here for our live show on YouTube so you too can laugh and scream with us, flex your horror knowledge, and maybe even win some trivia prizes. This week, we are covering select films released in horror history December 19th through December 25th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I am JL, and with me tonight are Johnny O and Eugene. Well, shit. <laughs> What's up, everybody? See, that's how you do a fucking intro. <laughs> I've, I've never had a complaint about my intros. <laughs> oh, yes, and I would also like how to... How I finish that usually gets the complaints. Right. <laughs> I would also like to extend a huge Week in Horror welcome to our special guest for the month who took time out of his incredibly busy schedule to sit at the horror table and nerd out with us. All you horror fans know him from his work on such little films as X-Men The Last Stand, Hellboy 2 The Golden Army, Thor, Pacific Rim, and his 2018 directorial debut, Strange Nature, special effects and makeup artist, Jim Ojala. Hey, welcome! You hey, hey, hey! I've never heard. I have never heard of any of those movies. So sorry, I just yeah. <laughs> little, little films, little independent productions. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm too busy watching films like Shark Exorcist and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Murder set pieces, whatever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, up there. Yeah, the highbrow stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, highbrow stuff like Cyclops, Cyclops and, and you know, Troll 2. Tidal Wave, <laughs> the Shark Tidal Wave. What was that one called? Oh, there are so many shark horror <laughs> films. So I mean, it's anything. one that has a tidal wave in it. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like I think it's literally called Shark Tidal Wave. I was like, you got to be more specific than that. <laughs> I think my favorite so far is like Ghost Shark, and that was the one where the the the, the ghost of the shark was attacking people like in their bathtubs and stuff because it was traveling in the water because the ghost still needed to be in the water for some reason. Yeah, right. I'm not yeah. sure. 
<laughs> we it makes more sense than Sharknado. Amazing. I know, right? It's actually internally, it's internally consistent. Yeah, right? Well, wow. science is going into this now. Yeah. Oh, wait, maybe it's Shark Tsunami. That's what Jinju said. Shark Tsunami. Let's <laughs> so oh. just take two words that are terrifying and put them together to see if it works. Well, thank you, Jim, uh, for joining us uh, for this little roundtable discussion. Thanks for having me. Yeah, more of a square, but whatever. <laughs> We're square like a square table. <laughs> Johnny, that's your cue. All right, I was taking a drink of water. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought there was going to be more that you said. We're so professional here. We can work. We've done this before, I swear. We've never done this before. It's our first show ever. And of course, <laughs> all of our Slash Leva patrons and up will enjoy early access to the After Dark, where we're going to have a lot of fun diving into Jim's background, his career, and thoughts on the current status of the horror genre. This is going to be so much fun. Make sure you join that patron. Uh, I mean, you don't have to do the Slasher level. I mean, you can get in for as little as a dollar a month, and it really does help us put this show on all the little bits and bowels and whatnot making sure that eugene has his you know his orange fucking whatever they are what are those little orange slices you have to have for every set or you just walk off like a fucking diva what was that called oh well, i gotta ha- i definitely have to have my blue m&ms blue m&ms blue. yeah okay so <laughs> really blue too. light blue won't cut it so funny story i've got whitney coming right on the onto the podcast friday whitney raquel whatever the first time i had her come over i asked her what her writers were being just kind of funny like what are your writers to for appearance and she puts this long list evian water a handle of johnny walker whiskey and then of course she said a bowl of blue m&ms no bullshit so <laughs> just because i went out and got a tiny little bowl of blue m&ms i got a little bitty tiny thing of of, of uh, johnny walker and some evian water nice. it's like don't put that in your writers and not expect me to do it <laughs> take care of our people that's right up there with uh with lemmy uh yeah. you know, lemmy from motorhead he would always do when i was working with trauma he would always do uh cameos for those guys and all he would ask for is bottle of jack daniels and give me a couple girls just to like just to hang out with that's it that's all he'd ever ask for never never ask for a single dollar just give me those couple things and i'm good so, I like man. a man of simple tastes. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. God rest his soul. Yeah. He just wants to have a good time. Right. I can't even blame him for that. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, Lemmy, come on. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we like, were... And Troma's cheap, but that's totally reasonable. You know? <laughs> even they have to pay that. You know? yeah. We were prepared to give you so much more. <laughs> we, exactly. We've got that on standby. Right. Like, oh, you don't even want the cheese sandwich? Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got crab services just for you. No. <laughs> exactly. That's nah, all good. No. I got my fifth here. That's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. As Troma's like shoving back money back around the corner. I guess you don't need this. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, let's say hi to uh, who we've got in the chat real quick. And I promise I will try to make it as fast as possible. I see we've got Travis Brown in the house. Oh, and I do need to do this. Boom. We do need to put our patron banner up so we can see all of our amazing patrons. Travis Brown is in the house. Good to see you, Travis Brown, as well as Glover Mom. Good to see you. Fantastic having you be here. And then, of course, see Sir Little Wolf in the house, who recently got his Week in Horror shirt. So I hope you enjoy that. He seems to really, really love it. 
and Stellarium Celestia is in the house. Hello to you. And of course, uh, Sir Kazan's in the house. Good to see you. And Jinju, see, good to see you. Says every hello, everyone. Hello back to you. And of course, I think, oh, there's Charlie Welch, the only man on the internet you never make a bet with. Good to see you, Charlie Welch. Thank you so much for being here. And I think, I know the rest of people are going to be filtering. That's pretty, oh, wow, they're really having a conversation there. Surf is in the house. Good to see you, Surf. Tony Regime, good to see you. And Robert Caslow. And I got everybody. That's it. So okay, let's start. Yeah. Let's <laughs> start or I'm going to be going on for forever. <laughs> I, I would like to point out that Jin Ju brought up Tucker and Dale fights sharks. Mm. I would watch that movie. I would watch I that. I probably would, yeah. yeah. I absolutely. <laughs> I would watch opening day. Make it happen. <laughs> oh, and Surf. I see Surf. Yes. Hi, Surf. A bunch of our amazing patrons are in the chat right now. And remember, patrons, be sure to get those last-minute questions for Jim and submit those via the Discord or via weekendhorror at gmail.com so we can ask him those questions at the after dark. No, we're not going to ask him what his shoe size is. <laughs> what is your shoe size? <laughs> the only question that came through so far? All right. Pretty much. <laughs> we keep it simple. Surf, <laughs> surf would really like to know your shoe size. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to buy him shoes? No. No, I'm just, you know. Just, just want to know. <laughs> All right, we got movies. But yes, yes, absolutely. So we got some horror movies to jump into. JL, mm -hmm. what do we got first? Oh, we're going to kick this off nice and strong. Okay, I'll admit, it was fun going back a while. I, you know, I, these are films that I watched when I was like, you know, you know before I was 20, you know? So I, I was young and I was you like, could oh, say when you were a kid, it's okay. Yeah, when I was a kid. It's like, you know, 20 plus years ago, I was a kid. I enjoyed these movies. I was actually working at the theater when a lot of these uh, debuted. So the first movie we are going to jump into tonight came out December 22nd of 2000, and that is Dracula 2000. <laughs> so, directed very, by Patrick... What? said very excellent title. Thank you. Yeah, it's very, very imaginative. Yeah. But directed by Patrick Lussier, based on, of course, Dracula by Bram Stoker, and starring Johnny Lee Miller, Justine Waddell, Gerard Butler, Colleen Ann Fitzpatrick, Jennifer Esposito, Jerry Ryan, Omar Epps, and Christopher Plummer, and oh, and Sean Patrick Thompson as well. Oh, and um, I can't—I don't remember her name. Vitamin C, the uh, the chick. Vitamin C, what? That, that was her statement. Mean, That's what she, that was her artist name. Yeah, just the singer Vitamin C. Uh, uh, wow, I have no idea who this is. Yeah, that was okay. Yeah, that was Colleen Ann Fitzpatrick. That's right. Went by oh. Vitamin C as a singer. <laughs> oh, so this <laughs> is this is the first WD movie we have on on the list today <laughs> anyway w, so yeah cw i'm sorry cw, now. CW okay yes so for those who have not seen for those who have not seen this movie which i doubt many of you haven't but for those who haven't seen it the story centers around a group of thieves that break into this rich man's estate thinking he's got riches hidden down there in the basement and they wind up stealing a silver coffin that contains the remains of count dracula himself because the guy who had it is actually van helsing maintaining his life you know throughout the ages until he can find a way to try to you know figure out how to destroy dracula so they steal the remains they wake up dracula and wackiness ensues so it's kind of like a continuation of the story and i i won't lie they did something i, I think they went kind of interested in this but it was nice to go and revisit revisit this i know this was it'd been a while since you saw it, right jim 
Yeah, yeah. I actually I had never I had never seen this. Oh I, funny thing is when this movie came out, I was actually working at Miramax and I saw this poster on the wall and I was so disinterested. <laughs> Even though I worked there, I had no interest in watching it. So this was this was a, an initial viewing for me. Yeah. This is like back then it's like Gerard, Gerard Butler. Well, this is like back then, Gerard Butler. Who the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> Who casted this thing? Janet Butler. He gets so mad when people call him Gerard. <laughs> Oh well, <laughs> I love it when I get so, jail all choked up. No, sorry, I was taking a drink that time. Mm. See, I got my my power juice so I can get through this. You uh, <laughs> because I needed to get through Dracula two thousand. Because I well, okay. Regardless of the film, the way the film dropped the ball, the way the behind the scenes dropped the ball, I kind of dug the intri- the little spin they gave on it because they added more to the story. Then I would say Stoker did. They brought in, they kind of, you know, with the kind of tweak to the mythology, bringing in the whole Christianity aspect and like the silver, the, the, uh, the reason the silver is important and the garlic is important and all the weaknesses he has, the reason these things are important. And I like that idea. It, just, it was something new. They just, uh, execution, they just missed, you well, know? Part of the, the reason that this movie, as, as like a lot of horror films at the time, just didn't work is because again we we make fun of you know calling it the cw version of dracula but if you look at a lot of the horror films at the time everything that was coming out was this teeny bopper cw style garbage it was just bad yeah yeah well and the the crazy thing is they they all like amazingly have the same aesthetic right like they all they all have the exact same traveling shots everything's bright you realize how there's like no there's no atmospheric shots in this entire film. Everything is bright. This shot's supposed to be like spooky and at night. Everything's bright. It's like, it's like an exec said, no, no, no we got to make sure that everybody is very clearly seen in every single shot. So it's just, it, it, there's no atmosphere in any of these films, right. which is, is just a very bizarre choice, you know? For, for, very, a vampire, for a vampire like, film, yeah. Yeah, especially, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's like whenever you watch like a soap opera or a tele... Uh, to, tele- it's like when you would watch those CW... St- it's like I was watching Seventh Heaven only with Dracula in it. Exactly. With the exact Everything same aesthetic. Right. Yeah. No, really. Yeah. You think about what was hot on television at this time. When you say CW, I actually going way back WB because this was time. the WB. Yeah. You think about what what was the hot show on the WB at the time. That kind of style was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right. and actually in yeah. two thousand, it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, which are shot very you know the, despite it being a you know about vampires and monsters and dealing with a lot of heavy topics. That show is never like atmospheric. It's always right. you know everybody's lit well, everybody is there. You know you convey things directly to the camera. And there's nothing to really, I guess, there's nothing in the environment to bring in the emotive response. We're always responding to the characters themselves and it's nothing like, in the set. What they did is they took, the, they took the cinematography because they thought it was popular. What they didn't realize is the reason why they have this style of cinematography is because it was quick. It was something they could pump out, show, we, you know, to be ready for a serialized show. And you have all these horror films like, oh man, this, 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 I guess it works. The kids seem to like it. Like, no, it's not because it works because it's, it's fast. It's fast and it's easily digestible. And right. it's, 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 it's also that, that, uh, that thinking of, oh, nothing's ever going to be boring as long as the camera's always moving. Like there's, yes. there's, a, there's a scene uh-huh. in this where they're supposed to be on the run from like 
vampires, right? And they just stop everything and they go to the library and just start going through books and shit. And, but, and like, they're just sitting there reading books, but oh, it's interesting because the camera's yeah, always right. moving and it's like, no, it's still not interesting. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's all a bunch of kids reading fucking books while they're running from goddamn Dracula. Right. It's like, right. what happened to the action? You know, it's like <laughs> Vladimir the Impaler says, Hey, wait a minute, fucking kids. I was gonna kill every last one of them, but they're at New York Central Park Library. Damn it. Well, actually, I think it was New Orleans. Doesn't it? matter, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> it does a lot. It does. Uh, yeah. And that's even worse because at least New York, at least New York City has like a gothic atmosphere to it. Tall skyscrapers, long shadows, deep well, recessed alleyways. You can play with that. Not New Orleans at Mardi yeah. Gras. New Orleans at Mardi Gras is not conducive to this well, unless you want to build the whole thing in Lafayette. Not maybe not at Mardi Gras, but <laughs> New Orleans does have a it does have a, a French Gothic look to it, especially when you get to the cemeteries. They're all everything's above ground and whatnot. And they do have a nice extended chasing in in the cemetery there, mm -hmm. which that that was cool. You know? So I was saying that there are a couple things that did hit. There were there were some things that I think, and that that's what was wild because there are hallmarks. When I read, when I was reading up on this, and I was diving into the idea like how this thing came about. There's obviously a lot of production issues behind the scenes because what originally was planned as this continuation of the Dracula story is not what we got. The script that eventually that we got went through so many hands, it doesn't even look like the original one that was bought by Miramax. And you know, we yeah, you know, we're trying to try to avoid saying that individual's name just because he's trash. But you know, that individual bought the script and said, This sucks, I'm gonna change it, and did you know he did his little spin on it. And it went through like five or six other hands. And eventually we got this kind of commercialized. Uh, I, I, the only word I come up with is kind of trashy. It's just kind of like there's nothing substantive about it. Almost formulaic kind of. You yeah, know, it's that whole that whole teenage CWWB style aesthetic that was quick, easy to produce. It was the bane of the late 90s, early 2000s horror films. A lot of that shit, like you look at the Halloween, uh, H2O, and then Resurrection has the same kind of aesthetic. You look at right. another film we're about to talk about, which doesn't, it's not as bad, but it still has a little bit of that aesthetic in it, at least with the, or I forget, the faculty that we're going to talk about later. There was a little bit more thought process into yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Almost identical cinematography. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, all of that, you know, it's right. all super similar. Right. I mean, so, absolutely. It is, I mean, it's, it doesn't work because when you take a show like Buffy, Buffy has to do 22 episodes that are 45 minutes apiece on it. So you're right. working 10 months and you literally have two or three takes. Move on, move on, move on, move on. We just, we got to. We're using the same sets, it's the same library, same yeah. Buffy's house, same. You have that overhead lighting that we just don't have to change. We could just move a wall here, move a wall there, and you just knock it out really quick. You can do so much more in a movie. You should, you should be able to do so yeah. much more, yeah. That's, yeah. The that's the opportunity. I mean, if you're on, especially if you're on for like the average like two to three months, you know, you've got you've got flexibility, not to mention you're not shooting film, you're shooting digital. So you can do like interesting things. You can try, even though you, there's not a lot of room to experiment, you can have fun. You can do things like, let, let's just go for this shot. We've got this opportunity. We've got this thing. I want to try this. Let's get this on tape. If it doesn't work, we'll just, it'll hit the cutting room floor. If not, maybe we just did something really, really cool. 
instead of going through that formulaic thing to punch it out. But that is kind of the hallmark of late 90s Miramax. That's kind of what they did, where they though they kind of made their bread and butter is just and it seems like it was the trend. Buy a script that they think sucks and then try to make it better. But I mean, the, the, I, I it speaks for itself. Completely. I know, yeah. I mean, that because they, yeah, they get you get scripts on the cheap, and then you just kind of like turn them out, and because you cast them full of like beautiful CW stars, like Johnny likes to say, because we got you know Johnny Lee Miller and Omar, you know, and there's an Omar uh, Epps, yeah, you know, like and uh, all these beautiful people, and then, you know, and then of course Jerry Butler got him on the cheap because this is like his third film, <laughs> third or fourth movie, so that's what you can do, and yeah, to just the kind of like commercial machine, just churn them out as quick as we can, make them flashy, make them cheap, you know, produce them just boom in your face. And then you're good to go. And then of course, you know, what do we, as, as the horror fans kind of like, eh, I found it kind of disrespectful to the franchise or to, I guess to the, to what we love about Dracula, that very, that, that character. And, but I mean, Hey, capitalism, baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, this is kind of the Dracula film that everybody forgets about. <laughs> and we're here to remind you. <laughs> and but you see, there were there, like I said, there were things that worked. There were a couple of things that worked in the movie. I liked yeah, the, credit, the, the end credits. Worked. The end credits. <laughs> they, yes, they did. the conveyance of who did this piece of shit. You know, it is great. But there were a couple of things, and I think they were holdovers from probably the original script. Like the I, I mean the I, the Christianity links, the the links to the silver. You know who Dracula actually was. I dug that. I, I mean, I dug this little kind of like little. Oh, this is neat. This is kind of intriguing. I see what they were trying to do here. And then there were a couple of good moments. I like the moment where he uses the cross on the vamp on the vampire, and the cross affects other vampires, but he uses the cross on Omar Epps. Omar Epps is like, sorry, but I'm an atheist. And then he hits the button and that blade shoots out. And he was like, Jesus loves you and stabs him in the face. <laughs> that was fucking brilliant. I was like, okay, that, that's sharp. <laughs> that's sharp. Come on. Play <laughs> yourself out. <laughs> I'll go. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it, is what we, it is what it was. Um I'll give it to I'll give it to Gerard Butler. You know, epic actor now. You know, obviously the you know, we go down the movies that he's done, but everybody knows that Jerry the proposal, Butler is now. The, proposal. And, uh, the ugly truth. There you go. The what? The ugly truth. Catherine Heigl. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I remember the billboards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just you know, that little independent production three hundred. We'll just gotta just set that aside. Yeah. I, uh, what, what, I'm sorry, 300 what? <laughs> I often forget about that movie because the rise of 300 came out after. If it was a 10-year after follow-up, it was complete and utter garbage. Oh, come on. Ava, Dude, Ava, when you Ava, have to have... Ava, Ava Green! Okay. Mm, Ava Green! Okay. <laughs> Even her bullshit fuck fight scene can't save that movie. <laughs> <laughs> the stupidest thing i've ever I seen i mean the movie would be worse without it it would be worse without it yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i'm sorry okay okay nonetheless, nonetheless i like i like what butler brought to this he gave it his all he was dedicated to it he had of anybody of everybody in the film he seemed not, to be the one the most that had the most like passion for the project 
He had fun. Yes, he had fun. Yeah, That's he a- was solid. Yeah, he never yeah. seemed like too silly in this thing. I mean, he seemed like he was, yeah, he was going for it. You know? Yeah. And that's important. I mean, I, from my experience as a director, you know, I've directed people where they're actors that, you know, I've cast like that. And then you, you get, you get kind of into the shit. Sometimes you get in the shit when you're in the middle of production and you can tell when people are just like, Oh, you know, I got to slog through this shit. I got to do fucking this and like that. And they're just doing it because they're professionals. Then you got the people who really, really fucking love making movies and they don't care what's going on because they're making a movie and this is fun and it's amazing. And yeah, it's technical and everything, but we're making movies. That's the point. And so when I like seeing that, even when you know, like you just look at the script, and eh, the script ain't so great. Nah, it's like this. But fuck this. I get to play Dracula. Hell yes. And then they 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 go for they go for broke. Regardless of what it is, it doesn't matter. And that's why I think you look at the vast majority of the people in those in those who are in that movie. And I mean, you've got like, you know, they've had careers, but who's the standout? I mean, the two legends that were in that, the two like legends, obviously Christopher Plummer and Gerard Butler who everyone else is pretty much you know, relegated to television and some of them don't even have careers anymore. <coughs> Danny Masterson. Sorry, mm, did that come out? Wait, who's that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so in that respect, you know, you look at what it is. I don't like the professionalism of Butler, no matter what it is, even if it's like a silly, like a silly movie like Gamer. Gamer only works. You know, that's a, that's a Neville Dean Taylor film. You know, about, you know, with, you know, Michael C. Hall in the most ridiculous role I've ever possibly seen him in. But Jerry Butler put everything into that. And that's why that I think that film was engaging. It's kind of like, holy shit. Yes, I'm totally down with this. I thought it was a good concept, too. Um, The dystopian style concept there was pretty cool. Definitely. So given that we have chatted quite a bit about um, Dracula 2000, and there's not, I mean, as, as far as that goes, if you haven't seen it, it's not a bad watch. It's a good little, you know, you, they're definitely worse ones you could watch. They're definitely worse movies you could check out. But I do want to ask the audience a real one. quick what I said, we're about to get to one. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I really can't wait. I want to ask the audience of all the individuals in the history of cinema who have played Dracula, Count Dracula, going all from, you know, all the way from, to, from Max Shrek, technically it was Count Orlock, but yeah, from Max Shrek all the way to today, who is your favorite actor who's played Dracula, who's done the absolute best for the role? Let us know down in the comments below or weekendhorror at gmail.com or down in the live chat. Love to see what everybody thinks, who who everybody's favorite one. There's going to be a toss. I think it's going to be a toss-up. Christopher Lee or uh, Gary Oldman? Hmm? What about Bella Lugosi? I was like that. Bella Lugosi. Lugosi. I mean, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of them. Which one, Jim? Uh, yeah, Bell's got to be in there. <laughs> I mean, he kind of—he's the I mean, he's, go-to Dracula. When people initially started thinking of Dracula, yeah. that's the Bell Lugosi one. Yeah, no one has even even Oldman. Oldman is like legendary. Even he could not drop that. I don't drink. I don't drink wine. Even he didn't drop that quite as well as Lugosi does. Right. Lugosi hit that line perfectly. Everything else is just like a like an off brand. It's like a great value copy of that line. Mm-hmm. I like the way Lugosi, what Lugosi brought to that. That that combination of like I'm a monster, but I'm still an aristocrat, and it may have been the accent that kind of lent, lent itself to that. So, and I mean, it's like you know, Lugosi, fuck, just yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah. I, I like in the chat how a lot of people have said Leslie Nielsen. 
Yep. Yep. Dead loving it. Yeah. That's great. Oh, so Little Wolf just says straight up Vlad the Impaler. He's my favorite. <laughs> oh, gee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going for realism. Yeah. I'm going for the realism. Uh, a lot of Christopher Lee love. I see. So Little Wolf loves Christopher Lee. Still, Larry Celestia. Also, Christopher Lee. Anna Annie. Good to see you, Anna Annie. One of our amazing patrons says Leslie Nielsen. Travis Brown, Leslie Nielsen, Glover Mom, Leslie Nielsen, um, Robert Caslow, yes. Frank Langella. Mm-hmm. We got a couple mm-hmm. Frank Langella ones. Nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Aaron Reese says, but I got a thing for him. <laughs> 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 nice. Um, let me see. All the Aaron Reese says, all the other Dracula actors are playing a sexy guy. Frank Langella just showed up sexy and put on a cape. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, kind of. This sounds about right. Antonio Regime says a tough one is Bella is the uh, Bella is the iconic Dracula. The Christopher Lee version is awesome, and Leslie Nielsen was a great twist. It was hilarious. Leslie Nielsen was fantastic. Yeah. Hilarious. You can't go Perfect. wrong with Leslie Nielsen. You just can't. Well, you can now. You can go wrong with Leslie. Yeah, too soon. Unless you want to weaken Bernie's, and you know. I still, I still love. I, I still would still love watch him. that. I yeah, still I love him in the original creep show. Still, like the shot you have the white hair playing the playroom like this, and just his scene when he's talking to himself. No need to worry. They've all gone. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like this man is categorically insane. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, when you're so used to him in comedic roles, and to see like how how expertly he plays a piece of shit, he's mm-hmm. so good at it. You know. The funny so, thing, uh, the funny yeah. thing about Leslie Nielsen is he was a straight guy for the longest time. He was like serious role actor in early in his career, and then he realized, hey, I can do Police Squad and have some fucking fun. Yeah, and people are like, wait, isn't that the guy from Tammy and the Bachelor? Like, right. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Why am I laughing at this? Why is it's this like, so funny? It's like Brian Cranston. It's like Brian Cranston. We're gonna put Brian Cranston in this in this meth show. The I guy from, yeah, I guy from Malcolm in the Middle? What do yeah. you <laughs> At the time, I couldn't do it. I could not get into it because I could not separate Brian Cranston from Malcolm in the Middle. And I'm just looking at, oh, you're not the danger. You're the fucking, you're the soccer dad. Get out of here. You're <laughs> as dangerous as a box full of little kittens. Get out of here. And then he smoked two people in his fucking Aztec and things changed forever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, now let's continue talking about anything else. <laughs> Johnny, you have our second one. Take it away, good sir. <laughs> All right. I'm upset with Mail for this movie. You should, you should be. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell, let me tell you this. I even I was fooled by this. So yeah, the hype was really cool. It was like, oh, sweet. You know, you read the Wikipedia, you read this that, and the other. Like, oh yeah, it was so bad, and they had to censor. And you, we watch this thing, thinking, what? Right. What did they censor? I, 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 I you don't think know. you think it's going to be a Serbian film or something? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, what have, that's what they have you thinking. Yeah, like, this is going to be a Serbian film, except worse. You're like, oh shit, how's it get worse than right. that? Shit, this, wasn't, this wasn't even, this wasn't even two days in Sodom. Come on, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. I guess you watch this movie and you're like, oh, I don't want to wait till this movie is over because I'm going to turn it off. It sucks so bad. <laughs> of course, we're talking about the 2004 American horror film Murder Set Pieces, written, produced, and directed by 
Nick, what is that? Palumbo? Might as well be Columbo. Fucking idiot. <laughs> Nick Palumbo. <laughs> the film stars Sven Gary. Nick, Nick Columbo. I'm, I'm going to film. I'm going to film. film. It's going to be great. Right. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> the film stars Sven Garrett and features cameos. And this is what pisses me off the most about this movie. We have some of the most iconic cameos ever. And they're wasted. Gunnar Hansen from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Sierra Vincent from Cabin Fever and Tony fucking Todd. Candyman himself. And don't, don't watch this movie. And he does. He and he does have a great scene. Like, his, <laughs> yeah, like that's his scene I enjoyed the most. I was like, oh, this is almost starting to feel like a real movie. You yeah. Know? And then they get rid of him. He's gone. He's gone forever. Like, wait, I know, wait, wait, wait. But he made it last. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and uh, don't forget Edwin um, Edwin Neal in it as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. As the Samaritan, yeah. Edwin O'Neill was uh, for the zone. It was the um, the hitchhiker, the hitchhiker who set up all the events in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just this movie. (laughs) Go ahead, go ahead. Give him a uh, give him a summary. There's nothing to tell about this movie. (laughs) Awful. So you got a you have a a wealthy immigrant serial killer who plays like a German photographer. Who you know, hey, I'm a erotic photographer at night. And now I'm not. I'm a I'm a I'm a rape and torture guy. Oh, but oh, and the, yeah, 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 right. <laughs> all the rape and torture stuff you don't you never see. He's like, oh, we're gonna do it, and then it goes away. Like, Wait a minute, stop it, back yeah. up. Wait, go back. Do the thing you're gonna cut her head off. Nope, not gonna do it. I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna pretend like we're gonna do it, but we're not actually gonna do it. Fucking hell. <laughs> So it's right around Fifty Shades of Grey, that kind of level, right? It's there. like Fifty Shades of Grey had a, an, a, I don't want to say what I was about to say. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say that because that's really, really disgusting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to, okay, first and foremost, I have to apologize to everybody because even I fell for the marketing on this one. I looked at the cover. I mean, I'm going to show everybody this. This is the cover to the DVD. Okay. Yeah, I just saw movies. Was like, yes. This is the cover to the DVD, and this figure, I know you really can't see it. It's like you know, it's all like graphic and just insane. There's all kinds of crazy shit all over it, you know. And it's kind of like the serial killer film to end all serial killer films. <laughs> Warning: shocking, horrific, controversial. So I'm like, holy shit! And I cannot tell you how hard this movie was to find. But I finally tracked one down. I finally got one. The nearest copy to me was like an hour and a half away from me. I drove to find this copy. So anyway, I got the movie. So you drove an hour and a half to buy this movie? Yes. I drove an hour and a half to find this movie. An hour and a half. No, an hour and a half down there and an hour and a half back. Three hours. I drove three hours to get this movie. So that we can watch this watch damn thing. Four, four, hour and four was it hour forty five. Hour and we're bitching about watching it for an hour and twenty minutes. Jail, <laughs> <laughs> like you've got almost five hours invested into this movie. Yeah, exactly. How mad are you? So I, I'm sh- I should be the one that's the most pissed. But I'm the one. I'm the one who's apologized because I apologize because I was taken in. I was taken in by the marketing on this movie by the fact that there are horror icons in this film. And then I, I'm like sending it to Jim. I'm like, Jim, man, I got this movie. Here it is. I'm going to share it with you because it's so hard to find. Here you go. It's nowhere. It's so controversial and hardcore. Uh, just let you know it's so extreme, you know, in case you have any kids around. And it's like, okay, cool. I'll watch this. Yeah. What the absolute shit. <laughs> this, okay, I'm going to tell you straight like this. 
American Psycho was worse than this movie. Well, I mean, not not worse like uh, a worse movie, but had more. My girl content. was worse than this movie with graphic. So <laughs> I have to apologize to our special guest Jim. <laughs> I feel like I set you up. (laughs) I'm asking this horror hound friend of mine, like, have you ever seen this movie? I can't find it anywhere. And he's like, I can't find it. But he was like, holy shit, it sounds extreme. Let me know if you have find a copy because I got to see it too. And I was like, okay, hold up now. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we didn't find it. We never found it. We never found it. It's never happened. This is an ET. This is an ET of Atari. That's that's what it is. It's all the land fell somewhere. Yes. And the and the what the absolute wild thing about this movie is that there is there's three different cuts of it. There's the edited version, there's the um the director's cut, and there's the NC17 cut. Now the NC17 cut, I can't find anywhere. I could not find it. And it's literally like the NC17 cut is like 105 minutes long. The edited cut is only 83. So there's a bunch of content that's so in maybe it. Maybe that, that's what they're talking about that we didn't yeah. get. Right. Like I, like I picture like SNL did a skit once when Sopranos was up and it was like the Sopranos family friendly cut and <laughs> it was only three minutes long. Maybe it's something like that where it's like the director's right. cut, the NC seventeen has everything. You know that that actually makes sense because like the 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 whole film has this crazy haphazard editing style. Right. It's yeah. very disjointed, but maybe that's because half the movie's missing. You know? Maybe. Or at yeah. least the important glue that puts it all together that right. makes the movie make sense. Yeah, like 20-something minutes of, of film in this bad boy. That's almost an entire act. 83, yeah. 83, 93, 100, yeah, over 20, like 20-some-odd minutes of missing content in the NC-17 cut, which I couldn't find anywhere. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> uh-huh, go ahead. Yeah, like, like if, if we got the rest of the footage... Would we find out why he likes to wear monster teeth or why he's obsessed with 9-11 or, you know, I mean, uh, any, any, any or, or do we ever find out about the snuff film nutbag? You know, I mean, anyway. <laughs> I was, was kind of curious about that. And then, of course, but then uh, that, that's a wild thing is that maybe there is more context because there's moments with, that I find really, really interesting um, where the, the, the killer's walking around and he has these moments where he's spouting some, some sort of philosophical thing. Now, in the cut that I watched, it's nonsense. But right. I'm wondering you know, if there's an NC-17 cut with 20 more minutes to, to put back into the movie, maybe there's some relevance there because he walks around spouting, he walks around spouting um, Charlie Manson, Jack the Ripper, Mein Kampf. I mean, all of this very stuff. So at first glance, it's like, oh, when I wrote this thing, I'm just throwing in all of these references to really bad people and putting their stuff in there. But now knowing this, it's kind of like, maybe there's more. I don't know. But right. apparently they had to cut 20-something minutes out in order to obtain the R rating. And so, see, I'm, I'm curious because, like, if we were actually in a movie, it would be like, we need to find these 20 minutes. And, like, two days later, after we all watch it, we're all just pale white. And it's just <laughs> like, oh, my fucking God, that 20 minutes makes a huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I just I felt terrible. Um, and oh, I see you and the George said I am the George. I'm sorry. I'm segueing. And George said says I've noticed JL doesn't pay attention to chat when they're a special guest. I try to. <laughs> no, he doesn't. I try to anyway. But I felt bad because I I I chalked this one up to be something extreme. It really was whether or not well, no, we've seen you the, didn't you didn't chalk it up. You just believed you believed what the marketing said about this yeah. film. And there's nothing right. wrong with that because this film. 
everywhere you look, everywhere you look, whatever little bit of information you can find about it, that I mean, they all talk about how extreme it is. Yeah, I, yeah. And the thing is, it's like I'm trying. I'm starting to realize whenever a film is marketed as super extreme, super extreme. It's not because if you take like a Serbian, <laughs> a Serbian film didn't right. market itself as a no, they don't Serbian have films like any of them. Yeah, audition. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 all it's all bullshit gimmickry. Um, it's like every once in a while you'll see this clickbait go around that yep. says like, you know, the movie that uh, that most people can't make it through on Netflix. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and you know, and it's like oh, the the tallies show that most people check out before the end. And it's because everybody's such a pussy. And it's like, no, this it's it's all it's a gimmick because the movie's probably just bad. It's <laughs> People are just walking out because it sucks. There you and go. you're trying to spin it into right. oh, it's so badass, but no, it just sucks. I you did know? that. I, they did that with that with that fucking ghost movie, Veronica, and but they, the the girls do the seance and then right. you know the, the whatever and. I was, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm waiting for this to hit. But then again, maybe I'm too desensitized. I like, I live and breathe this genre. So maybe I was like, so I'm waiting for something. Wait for something. There was one moment, one moment in that movie where I was kind of like, oh, that was pretty good. And that was when she was walking in the house and then the figure like appeared behind her in the hallway. See, this right. is how because, good because the, 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 it was, it was a trick. It, it was a movement <laughs> trick. It was relying on the, the, the lack of depth of field in order right. to pull something up. And I was like, that was pretty impressive. That caught me by surprise. The rest of the film was just like standard the haunting in Connecticut bullshit. So I want all of you to take note that murder set pieces is such a shit movie that JL had to reference another shit movie in order to continue the conversation. <laughs> I, okay, so I will say this. What Palumbo was trying to do, even though I, I, there were a couple of flashes at least, Somewhere in there, I can see where he was trying to do something. Maybe the cut we saw was just crap. I don't know. What's up, Nerd Journal? Good to see you. And Aaron Race, good to see you too. Um, the uh, the film itself is an experiment in nastiness. It's like, what all can we throw, you know, at the I guess at the at the cinema wall and see whatever sticks to be as extreme as possible. And I guess this is one way to get your name out there. Look at what I produced. I'm the guy that made this. But I guess it's, I, it's not even like it's not even impressive or anything like, like you look at something like the beginning of the collector and the whole the okay. rave scene on it where the all the spinning blades come and all these people like I want the beginning I was like oh shit that is fucking insane the DJ blew up and stuff <laughs> and like that didn't even market itself as extreme at all whatsoever yeah. hey, but like this is just like. An experiment nasty. Oh, we're gonna imply a bunch of nasty stuff, and <laughs> we're not gonna show anything. And it's kind of like a no, just no. It doesn't work. No, and the well, thing is, if you're gonna do that, your filmmaking better be as good as something like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, right? Or right. Yeah, okay. you can something like that can get under your skin, like you did see all the nastiest shit in the world. But it's because the filmmaking and the performances are so damn solid. So you better be at that bar if you're going to pull that. You know, that was like I was saying. That's what I kept. I kept watching. It was like, why am I getting reminiscent of like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer or uh, the House that Jack Built with Matt Dillon? Because that one was like, I or I didn't even expect that. Even August Underground did this stuff better 
uh, did that better. And that production was like, I mean, shit, dude, I could have pulled that out of my sock drawer when they shot that stuff on. And, you know, I get what he, I'll get what the attempt of what he's trying to do. But I mean, obviously when there's three cuts, when you have to cut 22 minutes to get an R rating, that's pretty extreme. Maybe there's a bunch of stuff we have seen. I've seen some still images of what it is. Like there was like, I think one of the still images I saw was of the girl in the chair after he uses the chainsaw. But even then, I'm looking at the still image and I'm kind of like, but Zack Snyder did it better in, in Dawn of the Dead. I mean, we got that actress fully like straight up just chainsawed straight right. in half, you know, right in there. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> That's extreme. I mean, even then, but then, of course, working on a shoestring budget, there wasn't yeah. a lot, you know, to, I mean, not a lot to, you know, to work with, but hey, you know, you do what you can with what you got. Um, one thing that, that really interested me about a movie like this, movies like this at this extremity don't come around very often, not today at least. So this was 2004, it is now 2021. And how many movies that are of this level could you say come around that kind of market itself this way? They don't come around. So, but is that, I'm kind of curious, the driving force behind hyper-violent films, films that just want to revel in the, like a little bit of the ultra-violence, films that want to revel in that, is that dying away? Do you, uh, do we see that declining to that degree? Or is it still kind of a mm, underground? Like right off the bat, it's such a niche audience because not even like all horror fans fans like movies of that extreme so right. when you make a movie right off the bat it's like we're gonna go extreme 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 you right off the bat are cutting a lot of the general population out of who's going to enjoy your film right on it that's why you look at you say something like the green inferno where it's like oh yeah we can market how gory and all this other kind of stuff but i don't think the film was that successful in theaters because with watching somebody get their eye pulled out and their tongue ripped out without cutting away, not everybody wants to see stuff like that. So you only have a small audience, and if that small audience doesn't like your film, nothing. Right. Yeah, that's well, and I think there is like a major cultural shift too, where, like you said, this is 2004. We're in a completely different landscape where you you make a movie about like killing hookers now you're not going to get embraced as much as you would have 15, 20, 30 years ago. It's a different world, you know? Nowadays, you have to kill flat earthers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or, or anti-vaxxers or something. <laughs> 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 yeah, but we leave the prostitutes alone. Female empowerment. You know, women's work, right. you know, women's exactly. work rights. <laughs> so, totally. Yeah, I need no escorts I, now. There you go, escorts. Yes, and I and I understand, and I get, and I get that, and I think that it may be one of those maybe one of those moments where these kinds of films are driven back to the underground. But I don't. But I mean, from what I see, I think they may raise their head. It may be kind of like there may be more of a roller coaster to this, where this is kind of that moment where we're going through a culture shift. This kind of stuff has got to go under, lest it be completely canceled and just you know. So it's like, nope, we're gonna pull back. We're going to do something, you know, we're going to save it for the little, like, you know, the, the little festival films, or we're going to do, like, underground screenings, you know, kind of like, it'll be in the, it'll be released digitally, in the, deep in the Amazon library of stuff that you never go and look for. And then until eventually, the culture shifts again, and they say, ah, here we go again, we can, we can have our extreme movies again. So it may be along those lines. I was kind of, I was curious about that, because being, you know, you know, since we work in the industry uh, professionally, I'm just kind of curious as to what you guys have encountered in that respect. I mean, I, I get very few of these 
anymore. Um, uh, every once in a while they come around. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they, you know, it's, it's one of those where I, as an, as like an effects artist, I usually don't have that much of an interest in doing these kind of films unless, I mean, I've done, I've done a, you know, a hundred slip throats. I've gutted a hundred people. It's like, whatever, like that kind of stuff is sort of boring to me now. Um, so unless you bring something to the table, that's really kind of unique and different. Um, I'm usually not that interested, honestly. So I just, I, I don't see it come up very much. You know? It's own self-defeating kind of pro interesting that it's almost self-defeatist because if you get desensitized to that stuff, there's no point in watching anymore. You end up pushing people away by being so extreme. It's like, wow, I've seen the most extreme thing I can see. Right. And that's pretty much it. Like I've seen Cannibal Holocaust at least like six, seven times before I ever watched Green Inferno. Green Inferno is out there making people throw up in theaters. Me, I'm kind of like, nah. no, no, not at all. That's and that's one of the reasons like a film like that kind of failed because the the hardcore audience was like, oh, this isn't shit. Right. This isn't anything. I remember us sitting in the, in the audience. We were waiting for like Cannibal Holocaust level because that's what Eli Roth was hyping it up as, and we were like, oh, this is like silly. Yeah. I'm, yeah, you know? Cannibal Ferox. I mean, we got like you know, cut their cut their oh. top of their head off, and he was like this. I mean, when I saw that, it was the first time I was like, oh, what the fuck? Right? The meat hooks through the – I mean, yeah, the whole thing. Right. Yeah, we're like suspending uh, her off. Exactly. Right. No, and all that stuff is super well done to this day. You know? Right. Well, because even we've talked about the torture porn genre when it started with like Hostel and stuff like that in 05, and it got – people kept pushing and pushing and pushing, and you had to push it. And then it got to the point where you just kind of hit a wall. And like you just you couldn't really go any further, and the genre just dies out. When you got like Human Centipede three, or you got people shitting in other people's mouths and stuff like that. <laughs> I, I mean, like how much further could you go? Right. It's literally an horrible. It's, it's just a snake eating its own tail. Is what it's going to turn into. It's just what because what I I mean I look at that. It's like wow. Like you said, the one-upmanship, push, push, push. We got to go to the next. We got to get you. Know, it's got to get worse. Got to get worse. Just like in the music industry, shock rock. Has constantly got to one up itself, you know. Oh, so you get, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I, I was just talking with somebody recently about this, where it's like somebody like Gigi Allen, kind of like he set a bar where, okay, that you know he died in '95, but still nobody's gonna nobody's gonna be able to surpass that, like ever. Nobody's gonna go into the audience and try to rape somebody and smear their shit on them. Like you're you're probably never gonna see that again, you know. And so yeah. we eventually end up, and what was interesting to me is like, I see these films like the, like the torture porn genre, you know, going for like how much human misery can we showcase in such graphic detail on the film. And I wound up, I, I, for me, I wound up going back to Italian horror, which is like seminal for that kind of level of violence. Right. Like the, the, yeah. the zombie films and the cannibal mm -hmm. films. I wound up just going all the way back to the beginning and be like, because I was like, wow. Well, if I'm going to watch this level of extremity, I'm going to go back to a time when the, the effects were practical and they knew what they were doing and they went in the, and they decided, you know, fuck it. We're, you know, we're not trying to impress anybody. We just want to do something really extreme, you know, for the fucking love of it. And so I, go, I so I literally just go right back to the beginning. And then I don't know because I don't know where the future can take it in that until I obviously the next thing comes along. But at this point, I mean, hell, we've had. You know, with movies like The House That Jack Built, as extreme as that movie was, and then, of course, like he said, the, it, it, it almost becomes satirical with, you know, like human centipede. Let's have 500 people shitting in each other's mouths. <laughs> what the, what's the point? 
in that. And so, yeah, yeah, it ultimately is. Maybe it is self-defeating in that respect, trying to do extreme things like this. But um, Johnny actually had to step away briefly. So I'm going to ask his CTA. He had, he had, before the show, he, he had a flood in his house. And now the cleaners have come and he, they're, they're having to cut the uh, the carpet and get the pad out of there. Because apparently it was an upstairs flood and it leaked down into the garage. It's just bad. So um, I will ask it to the all everyone in the live chat. What is the most violent horror movie you've seen? So let us know in the live chat or in the comments below or weekendhorror at gmail.com. What's the most violent one you were able to see? Maybe even one that you that you saw and then halfway through you were like, I can't do this anymore. You know? So definitely let us know. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. What about you guys? Most violent, most extreme film? Like, I feel like the set answer would be something like Cannibal Ferox. Mm-hmm. Um, Cannibal Ferox, Cannibal Holocaust. I did enjoy the. It's not a full movie, but you have the Nine Inch Nails Broken video, uh, where it was just, it was set to the. It's like the five six song EP, and it's set and it's on the basis of they stumble across a guy getting tor- getting tortured, and so during the song gave up, it intercuts with this extreme, extreme super extreme torture to like Trent Reznor singing on the TV. So I would get between like one of those three. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'd be in that world of yeah, the you know, um, I like the sequels to uh, Human Centipede, um, 120 Days of Sodom, uh, or Solo, and uh, yeah, I mean, um, parts of Serbian film. Uh, it's, 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 uh, definitely, definitely up there. Um, yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot of the stuff like August Underground puts out. Um, right. Yeah, there's a human guinea pig. I mean, all that, all that shit is uh, is pretty, pretty intense. Yeah. I was actually going to go. Well, well, Serbian film does have those moments that kind of, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like that. But <laughs> I was actually going to say August Underground is the one that just was like the extremity of that kind of blew me away. I was like, holy right. shit, for what they were for what they were shooting with and what they were shooting on and the money they were working with. I was I was pretty I was like holy fuck um, the imagination it takes to get to that to get to that point I don't even know if I've got that but right. that kind of you know if, for all the shit I've seen that one was pretty extreme so let me see um, so we got some oh some people in there uh, let me see here do uh, Stellarium Celestia do my nightmares count as movies <laughs> good point uh, <laughs> ra- uh, let's see Commander Darklight says Wolf Creek that had some extreme moments in it. Uh, the scene where she gets her fingers cut off. I was excited when she just, like blocks herself and right. like cuts. The He's like, "Yeah, off. fuck your fingers. Just hack your yeah. fingers clean." Yeah. I was like, and of course the I never I I hadn't seen anything quite done quite like the uh, the head on a stick scene when he's like stick and then like paralyzes her. He's like, "Oh, because you're in the you're in the mindset of the victim at that point. You've spent all this time with her. Now all of a sudden she's paralyzed and he's cutting away pieces of her." And he's like, "You're so fucked." And it, I just, it, that was just gruesome to me. So that was pretty hardcore. Robert Caslow says, Jaws when I was seven. <laughs> uh, so Little Wolf says, House by the Park. And let me see here. Uh, Ryan and Nance brings up uh, the many faces of death. Or faces of death would be uh, probably. Oh, right. Right. Oh, and then, I remember the infomercials yeah. for that, like way back in the day. Like, oh yeah, that was that was right of passage time when we were growing up. Yeah. 
Uh, Jinju says Cannibal Holocaust was easier to watch than a knee replacement surgery. <laughs> I will say this: one of the most extreme things I've ever watched was a live uh, was um, uh, was infant skull surgery, and it was like a legit, just like cameras right there, felt like this. And what they were doing was they were doing a repair on a child's skull by taking a fragment of bone from here from her skull and then putting it up underneath her face to hold up her eye joint. So, but they showed everything. So they put the tourniquet there and they have to cut open here and then they have to fold the face down to the point mm-hmm. where it comes down to this point. I was like, I, that was pretty impressive. I, and they showed us that in high school. So I was like, <laughs> uh, uh, human centipede, got some human centipede from Aaron Reese. I would rather be ripped apart than have someone crap in my mouth. <laughs> so Little Wolf says the original last house on the left. And Robert Cass is the first Phantasm movie. Uh, of course, I saw that when he was 11. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Did, did you guys see Found? Did you ever see Found? Scott Shermer's Found? I've never seen it. It's If you've never seen it, check it out. It's shoestring budget film, but very fucked up and very disturbing. Um, and basically just... What happens when you find out when you're like a little kid and you find out your older brother is a serial killer and it's in and what you do about that and what secrets you keep. And it's, it's, it's pretty disturbing. I, I highly recommend it. That's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I, I'm looking at the, uh, Oh, it was put out by Macabre. Very cool. All right. I'm, I look at the poster of it and I pulled it up here. Interesting. I'm going to check this one out. All right. 2012 that came out. Yeah. Definitely awesome. one of the, one of the most I've been impressed by recently, for considering it was made for like a few thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Nice, fantastic. All right, so uh, Eugene, take us to our another award winner, <laughs> or to our next award winner. Take us oh, to wow. our next award winner. <laughs> oh my god! I remember this hit HBO, and then I lost the remote for the TV, and HBO loops movies constantly back in the day. So I watched this film like eight times in a row on a weekend because I just couldn't fucking change the channel. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> just we have an American Werewolf in Paris released December twenty fifth, nineteen ninety seven, directed by Anthony Waller. And it stars Tom Everett Scott, Julia Delpay, Vince Vellul, Phil Buckman, Julian Bowen, Pierre Cosson, or Cosson, Tom <laughs> Dovembri, and I can't pronounce that name. Um, <laughs> it don't matter. Yeah. It, does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. And, uh, basically, you have you have a group of Americans. And they end up going to a party. The party ends up having these werewolves go and attack it. And one of them kind of turns into the werewolf. And I mean, just, I don't even want to say shit gets real. It's just werewolf shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's too, for us too funny. Um, Okay, Jim. So, okay. (laughs) Yeah, where do you start? I mean, especially, you know, with, with the special effects background you have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I we saw this in the theater when we were teenagers, and we were like, wow, this looks kind of shitty. <laughs> like, in 1997, <laughs> we're like, wow, this, like, the, the, the CG werewolves, I mean, it looked, back then, it looked like a video game. 
So now it's just like seeing it through a different eyes and after having a whole career in makeup and creature effects and knowing the pedestal that American Werewolf in London is on, it's just like, how did this happen? Um, it's just, uh, it's crazy. The fact that like somebody did put a, a certain amount of effort into the CG werewolves. And what gets me is there was a, a talented team involved on this film making the practical effects. Because there are practical makeup effects in this film that are used super sparingly. And when you get a glimpse of them, you can tell like they're pretty good. But they, they cut away from them just to like showcase this awful CG werewolf. And they put that front and center. And the thing is like, you would think that like, okay, somebody in this team must have known like, okay, this looks kind of shitty. Um, it looks pretty fakey. So let's keep it in the shadows. No, everything is in full light. Um, uh, it is just like, it's the, the eyes are, are giant. I mean, it's just, it's, it looks like, it looks like a first pass, like a CG first pass. Like if you're having a, a VFX artist, like do a design for you. Oh, we want a werewolf for this movie. Um, just whip up something together like in a week and, uh, and just let's, let's see what the structure will look like. That's what this looks like, but no, but this is the finished thing. The hair, uh, the, the VFX hair is so thick. It looks like porcupine quills. It's just, it's across the board. It's so bad. It's so <laughs> bad. It's, it's like uh, kind of unbelievable. You know, that like, like I said, my girlfriend watched this with me and she's also an effects artist and she thought this was like a little indie movie. And I was like, no, this was a major studio. Put this out. She couldn't believe it. No way. You know what? We were, we were talking, we've talked about it before. Um, oh, Ivy Gentry says, uh, sorry, Ivy Gentry. I'm good to see Ivy Gentry says claymation would have been better. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Just, just go stop motion. You know? <laughs> The, uh, and it was so wild because we were talking about it, uh, a few weeks ago. We were talking about another werewolf, werewolf movie, Silver Bullet, the adaptation of yes. Cycle of the Werewolf yeah. Stephen, from yeah. Stephen King. And there were issues with the design of that werewolf. That werewolf right. completely and totally practical. Yep. But they wanted the, – so the idea was with King and the director one is they wanted like a, a sleek – werewolf that wasn't obviously a werewolf when it was in silhouette they wanted it to be they wanted to be kind of ambiguous it's kind of like what is that monster and then oh it's a werewolf but the the suit that was designed turned out looking like a black bear so it <laughs> looked like just a, a bear just like walking around duh, 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 duh. exactly and apparently in the in the light in full shots it looked atrocious so instead of going back and revamping it they just doused everything in shadow and did all sorts of like really you know like you know big close-ups get really right. close to it so we don't have to show all this like detail like this and then of course the actor who was with the the movement actor who was supposed to be in the suit said this is awful this suit is terrible i don't know i can't like this so he wound up quitting and then everett mcgill the actual like actor playing the human side said screw oh. it i'll do it and he jumped in the suit and he did all the physical stuff. really oh yeah wow. that's cool <laughs> Good sport. I mean, great actor too. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah. people under the stairs. Oh, God, yeah. oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> so good. And, and he, I mean, he relishes in that in that uh, role as the Reverend too. Mm -hmm. It's like he's what makes that spooky. You know. I like yeah the way his reaction, uh, working across from uh, from Corey Haim. I like what he brought yeah. to it, and I just like his moments. Totally. Totally. And and another movie that uh, Nick um, Nick Demichi. 
did, uh, which was uh, uh, Late Phases, where he plays the blind veteran who takes yes. on the werewolves. Yep. It kind of pulled from that a bit. Right. It was, I, I yeah. like, and that's why I love that, that so yeah. much. Um, and this particular one, I wanted to dive into, not because we, we don't need to dive into this movie. It's just, <laughs> but unnecessary, unneeded sequels. Why, like, why do this? From from our position, from a fan's position, we just like oh horror movies, and you know, from the, you know, we look at the effect it has on the fandom. Why are they doing this movie? What the hell is going on? You know, well, why but, would you ruin the legacy of John Landis like this? Yeah. Well, so like from, when you do, so when you do a werewolf movie, it is about the werewolf. That is the main focus. Werewolf and transformation, right? Werewolf transformation. When you look at the best werewolf movies, it's the best transformation, the best puppetry, the best makeup effect, because that's what it's about. And you can kind of get away with some cheap stuff, say like in a zombie movie or something, because you can kind of focus on the real characters. But with werewolves, that's exactly what you want to see. You cannot skip out on it. You, you can put the best actors in there, have the best story, but if you come in with a PowerPoint presentation of a werewolf drawn in Microsoft Paint. <laughs> right, pretty much. Uh-uh. I'm out of it. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can visualize it. <laughs> and the, well, the fact that like they're so, they're like showing it off. There's so right. much of it. There's so many scenes with werewolves in the movie, and they're all so bad. It's like, why? Why are you? No, don't show. You're not. You shouldn't be showing off. You should be hiding that shit. What are you doing? You know, like, oh my god. I like. I yeah, wonder, like, you you talk about how it's like a first pass, and I, yeah. like, I wonder if it's like, hey, yeah, this is our first pass, and director's like, I like. Let's keep that. Well, yeah. well hey, hey, hang on, it's the first That'll pass, do. so we can, we're That'll gonna go do. back. No, no, I just no, want that. It works. Just get it out. Just get it done. Exactly. Well, you would think there would be more tie-ins with the film to the original American Werewolf in London. So it's like, okay, that's the first time we've ever seen a full painful transformation that's really melt. And, you know, in American Werewolf in Paris, it's just, it, boom, it just, uh, it happens really quick and boom, they're just there, you know? And it's kind of like, well, you you lost that one part that we could tie into like oh let's see what a painful transformation of a female werewolf is like that's the one thing you could have brought to this right and you wasted that too you know aaron reese says weekend horror come on there's a huge list of 90s horror movies that we all thought were the shit at the time but we look back on with deep deep shame <laughs> i never thought this was the shit <laughs> I, I was there i was there and we never thought this was the shit <laughs> I, would, I would you know i remember being in the being in the audience and being disappointed it was kind of like okay so not only are the effects not there not only are they, they i can understand why landis hated the film why landis was like this is this is garbage but then even the even the comedy was not there. And I'm wondering because the comedy is there to offset the horror of what you're doing. So right. American Werewolf in London is terrifying werewolf horror, graphically painful and, and grotesque transformation and when you're turning into the monster, offset, you know, in all this extreme, and not to mention the nightmare sequences he's having, his rotting friend is following him around, how we offset all of this, all of this horror. Really brilliant comedy really funny tongue-in-cheek moments and that just even failed at this 
It's kind of it was forced. It felt forced. It felt all, well, all it's I'm really goofy. Like the humor in this is like super kind of almost over the top goofy. Uh, and it's one of those where so you, if you if you had really disturbingly real effects or, or horrific moments to balance that, maybe on some level that it could work. But with the effects and the horror being really kind of silly and goofy too, plus your humor is really goofy. It's just it kind of it never finds a balance, you know. It's like a and, car. And, and it's the, like a fish tailing like like car. Exactly. Yeah. And the yeah. whole point of the movie is these guys are in Paris and they're spending the whole movie just trying to get their buddy laid. Really? That that's what you're doing with your vacation? <laughs> like, don't you guys want to get laid too? You know? Well, because on top of that, it's like it doesn't really find its footing because when you have like the werewolf reveal, because you have like the underground party scene. It comes across so stylized. It feels more like Underworld, even though the Underworld hadn't came out at this point. Right, it yeah. It feels super – this isn't like a creepy, like you're trapped underground and these werewolves are hunting people. It's like a, ooh, look how cool these werewolves are and they're because they yeah. come out in these hoods and they reveal themselves. And it just it just feels weird. Yeah, no, totally. And the, 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 that's the little subplot in there, they kind of gloss over it quickly. Like, could have been a cool idea that, like, oh, there's this faction that basically believes they're superior beings and they want to basically take the, the Earth back as theirs as a superior being to humans. Like, oh, that could be kind of a cool idea, but instead they just, you know, they kind of skim over it with just these kind of, like, pseudo skinheads doing that, and then that's right. it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and that would—I mean—and even then, you mentioned uh, Eugene mentioned Underworld, and even at least in Underworld, the the see the transformation was CGI, but they didn't spend too much time on it. And at least the werewolves after the fact were all practical effects, right. yeah. Like, yeah. like like and I thought that's what made them look cool because you know you get the solid puppetry in there, you can make for an effective monster. You know, I'll—I I'll, mean, at least at least Underworld got it right when that was all about just you know look at Kate Beckinsale's ass. Um, <laughs> But Nerd Journal says, I wonder if sometimes they know if there's no way they're going to be able to touch what the original did. So they intentionally lay on the cheese and they hope that it's edible. Maybe. Maybe they just try to make it uh, the low, like lowest common denominator, just market it to that across the board. And I think, you know, given that practical at this time, 1997, end of the 90s, was beginning. It was kind of like the, the, the building crescendo of CGI. Yeah. CGI had become more prominent in the 90s. And, you know, video games are espousing it, showing, showcasing what you can do with an engine. And then you start getting out. And plus, it's way cheaper to make something CGI at that time than it is to, to like, code something for an engine than it is to actually make a practical suit to do the upkeep on the suit to, you know, constant, you know, and to, to, I mean, think about it. What's easier? Make a CGI Predator, as we've currently seen, or make a suit for Kevin Peter Hall to wear, yeah. you know, and where do where do you draw the line when you when you're working with working within your means? It's much easier to just be like, oh well, here's him or here's like a fake one. This is where we're going to put it in or green screen or whatever, and just throw it in digitally than actually build and make and make one and spend the money to do so. You know, that's what essentially what it is. But my love practical effects. I'm the same for y'all. I mean, that's where we grew up. Yeah, and, no, totally. I I, th I think they bit off more than they could chew to. Where I think CG was such a new tool at the time. They got ahead of themselves thinking like, ooh, this can be the first time nobody's ever seen a full werewolf before. 
So we can we can do it like crazy in, in America. Where if in London we had to hide it, in Wolfen we had to hide it. Nobody's ever seen a full one running, like full body. So this right. is our chance. And we can have them like all over the place. And it's almost like just because you can tactically do it doesn't mean you should because you're not quite there, you know? It's still in its infancy at that yeah. moment because we've seen some low lower budget films do werewolves well. Like we talk about like dog soldiers. Right. Uh, oh yeah, we talk about like late phases. Oh, the howling. The howling. Uh, ginger snaps. Ginger snaps. Yeah. So you you so it's like you can. There's inexpensive ways to do practical werewolves. Right. On it and it, with this film is I just felt like if they would have at least tried. Like you don't have to hit American Wolf in London, but if you just put some effort to it, we can forgive it. Yeah, right. <laughs> use CGI to kind of like to, to fill the gap. You've got you've got your practical effects on this side, you've got CGI on this side, and that was what was wrong. I think ultimately, I mean, this is reflected. This was nineteen ninety. Oh, this was nineteen ninety seven. It even carried on to two thousand eleven. When was two thousand eleven? I may have gotten the years mixed up, but when the Thing prequel came out. It was kind of like, whoa, what do you, or maybe that was too, uh, I forgot the. No, it was yeah, 2011. Yeah. 2011? Okay, yeah. How do I keep this shit? I have no idea where it's still stores up here. But and the thing prequel did the exact same thing, whereas they, they focused on, uh, on CGI effects for the vast majority of the major scenes. And then they bridged the gap with the practical ones. Let's have a practical monster there so we can do like, a, you know, like if we need to do a, 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 like a transitional moment or we need to move the camera here. Let's get this set so it's because it's in the foreground. But we're not going to focus on it. Every time we focus on the monster, it's got to be CGI because we can do a lot more with that than we can practically, and we can do it cheaper. Unlike, you know, Carpenter's arguably my you know my favorite film of all time. That's just where you know, kind of like where it went, unfortunately. And you know, what are you going to do? But um, I'm, what I'm glad is that there are individuals like Jim here, not to blow smoke up your ass, but the use of practical effects in Strange Nature was brilliant. The especially I see the wolves, yeah, yeah. Uh, the wolves yeah. above you, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I like that ass. I was like, fucking sweet. They are. I mean, they're physically there, and what that's what's great. Physically there, so the actor has something to work with, so that they when they put when they when you're doing a struggle scene. That's why that's why Doug, the actor who's playing the deputy, actor who's playing one of the deputies, right. the thing jumps on him and he's in a fight with it. He's got something when he puts his hands on it. He feels that hair. He yeah. feels the weight of that yes. thing, and it's time to go. And I, that is what makes it. That is what sells it. Yeah. Not a stick with a ball on the end. <laughs> and then, <laughs> look, I mean, just as a filmmaker, it's that's terrifying to 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 just kind of have faith that, like, I I guess in post production this is going to look great. I hope it is. Whereas if if you've got something practical, you you at least know that like. If you're okay with it on set, like that's what it's going to be, you know, and maybe you can sweeten it and make it a little better in post. But if you don't start with anything on set, that to me, that's like the most terrifying thing ever. You know, uh, you're right. Because like, unless you have industrial light and magic behind exactly, you, yeah. you, you don't know what you're going to get. You just right. don't. No, this, no, no, this no. is why, I mean, you think about it. Uh, I think one of the best examples is we, we I think obviously the your movies like the thing predator, you know, aliens or like this when you actually have a physical monster you're looking at but what i love the most is the movie the descent because those monsters you know i mean look how dark you are you're you're lit predominantly by flare light or glow right. stick light 
There's not a lot of natural lighting. You could have, in, in this environment, in these cave settings, you could have easily gone with CGI monsters to make them as scary as possible. But no, we go with actual actors, done up to look like monsters, and then we hide them from the cast so they never see them until the moment they see them in the movie. So the girls are looking around and it's all dark. And then like all of a sudden, ah, it's there. And then you know, that's the first time they've been first. So you get those legitimate, re those legitimate reactions. Mm -hmm. And exactly. you, you just can't replicate it. You know, I can, yeah. I can, I can feel Ian McKellen's frustration when he was shooting the Hobbit mm -hmm. and there's nobody there for him to act across. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's asking a lot of an actor, you know? Right. That really is. So I actually I want to ask the audience because we've talked we've been talking about like bad CGI. What is the worst CGI monster that you've ever seen? <laughs> and there are a lot of a There's lot a of bad ones. A lot like a lot of um I think Birdemic is definitely up there. <laughs> <laughs> Another one's like City Sasquatch or Sasquatch neighborhood or something like that. I can't <laughs> Worst CGI monster. Oh, there's so many. There's so many. Um, oh, I couldn't even. Yeah. What? Okay, one that really aggravated me. I don't know what I did. There's so many bad ones, but I'll say the one that aggravated me the most was the final form in the Thing prequel. When that thing came out, it was just like blah. And it was like the big, supposed to be the big moment where the, you know, the big biomass is revealed. That was such a waste, and it was just—it wasn't great. And the uh, the eyes are all dead and shit. And it's just kind of like, uh, or at least in the Carpenter one, yeah, I'm looking at this massive thing. But at least you know, the the way they sculpted it, the the human parts of them look like they're in pain, and they're like ah. And it was like I, I thought that was great. And this one is just like uh, that was just a, that was that one just aggravated the piss out of me. I'll say that you know, as far as like CGI, maybe maybe something out of Resident Evil. Resident, yeah, that's there's some there's some rough stuff in there. Um, the uh, God, the uh, um, what is it? I am Legend. Oof, it's oh, and they made oh, oh those those CG zombies with the stretchy mouths couldn't be less scary. Uh, just yeah, the worst video game looking things. And they made practical suits originally, and they're like, no, 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 we can do so much more with CG, and they scrapped it. I've seen, I've seen some of the original test photos and they look, they would have been awesome. And wow. You know, uh, too many cooks in the kitchen or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. There's, and also uh, just a comparison from original to remake, um, the Medusa in clash of the Titans mm -hmm. original still so terrifying, still holds up as a stop motion effect. And the new one, not scary whatsoever. Big video game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Big CGI boss fight. It's yeah. Kind of, oh yeah, yeah. Hey, I I love that you brought that up because you're talking about like the I think the one from the '60s, right? It's, uh, it's, uh, 19, oh. yeah, '70s, I think. Yeah, '60s, yeah. '70s, something like yeah. that. And I was like, I watched that. That was terrifying. No, it was. It was, was the. Lead, it was. It's like the lead up to it because you never exactly. yeah, those moments where you don't see all, but you see like oh, the, like the tail, the, the, the rattling of the tail, yeah, exactly. and then the moon is kind of like and the lighting. The lighting is so beautiful and atmospheric oh. and spooky, and yeah. And when she and comes around just, with that, when she comes around, it was so fluid with that bow. Exactly. And it was like, oh yeah. damn. Yeah. And the way the people reacted to it, that was fantastic. Exactly. Oh, love. And there's, you know, there's, there's some soul in the eyes too. Um, uh, whereas it just it, with a CG character uh, that's a hundred percent. Like, I mean, I, I'm all for the blends of CG and practical, 
there's many times where it's super successful, but most of the time, uh, even if you have a killer budget, a 100% CG character just still, there's something, there's an uncanny valley that, you know, the most unsophisticated audience member can still see that like, that's just not something real. That's right. something I can't really care about or be scared of because it's just, I, I know it's not real. Yeah, it's the, I, I like, it's the little imperfections that I was watching a video where somebody's talking about it and we look at like James Cameron's work and it's like a lot of times with CGI, it's too perfect. Yeah. Right. Versus like the lighting being a little bit off, the way the blood splatters, how could the blood's going to splatter where it's just going to splatter on it. It's these little things that it's not perfect, but it's more real. That's like Alien Resurrection and Cameron's Alien. I mean, comparing anything to Cameron's Aliens, but even Ridley Scott, or even Alien 3, which used the CGI very sparingly. It was only a couple of scenes that he used the CGI, but I love what they, you know, what, what Fincher did with the camera work was in there, but mostly we got a practical alien. And then he goes to get Alien Resurrection, where they're, where most of the time they're CG. And I was like, you can, and there's such a disparity. And then, of course, Alien versus Predator, where it's even worse. Because that alien queen versus what Cameron gave us, I mean, come on. So, I, you know, it, it just, you just can't beat it. That's what it's going to come down to. But, uh, but yeah. So, worst CGI monster. We're about to get into another terrible CGI monster. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's the last one we got? Yes. Let's jump into this final one that we got right now. And hopefully, hopefully Johnny will be able to join us early. Because I know they're just pulling out a little bit of pad from the bathroom. But I uh, hope everything's going okay over there. Apparently, the toilet overflowed, it leaked down, and it soaked through the pad, and it spilled into the garage, it was coming through the ceiling, so I have no idea what the level of damage is. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, so they got to deal with all that. Probably have the vacuum going, which is why he muted himself. But here we go. For our final film that we're going to talk about, it's another Christmas release. It was 1998. This is uh, December 25th, 1998, and we have The Faculty, which I saw some people in there were showing some love for The Faculty. And so, directed by Robert Rodriguez and written by W.B. Darling, Kevin Williamson, starring Jordana Brewster, Clea Duvall, Laura Harris, Josh Hartnett, Sean Hattosi, Famke Jansen, uh, sorry, Famke Jansen, Piper Laurie, Baby Newworth, Robert Patrick, the T-1000, Usher Raymond, Usher, John Stewart, and Elijah Wood. So the story says around this one, those who may not have seen this, did, this did come out in 1998. The story that around this one is a group of kind of outcasts at school or a group of individuals representing every clique in a high school begin to discover that aliens are taking over the school. There has been uh, an like alien invasion is beginning there, kind of in the heartland of America, nice and quiet. And then they are struggling to overcome them and defeat the aliens and save their entire town and the rest of the world. Um. I wouldn't even really say shit gets real in this, but I will say there's some interesting stuff in it. I do kind of like this, this kind of new take on uh, this an old story, like the Heinlein story like that. But uh, I, I enjoyed I, giving this one back to you, having you go back and check this one out, Jim. Yeah, no, I was, uh, I was actually, I mean, pleasantly surprised for the most part. I mean, I was overall, I, I actually like this. Um, the, uh, you know, I mean, on several levels. I mean, the aesthetics, I'm not a huge fan of because we were talking about this. It's it's shot very much like those films during that period. Everything's very brightly lit. Um, it, it feels like, you know, um, Dracula 2000 and, and a lot of those those films uh, with the cinematography and everything. But 
the ideas presented in it and what they do with the characters. And I mean, right down to like, oh, you know, yeah, put drugs in big pens, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's, that's genius, you know, that's, that's great, you know. Um, but yeah, what they do with that. And, and I, I, there's, there's an element in here that I was like, wow, you know what, that, that's pretty smart, actually. They kind of gloss over it, but just the idea of what if the sci-fi genre was purposely put into our culture by aliens so that when the real alien invasion takes over, nobody will believe it because they'll just think it's sci-fi and nothing else. And so I, was the, like, uh, I was like, that, that, I mean, that could be a whole movie, just, just that concept, you know? Oh yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. And, and regarding the effects too, I was, I was actually pleasantly surprised where they did find a decent balance between, there's some pretty silly CG effects in this, but there is a good amount of practical too. So they did find a balance. And at the end, even like when you see the big crazy monster, there's parts of it that are real, like K and B did those. So it's like they're it, it's it's much more digestible than something like American Werewolf in Paris. Right. I remember the I think the the scenes of it like crawling around, like it moving around on all fours when it was like the, like the locomotion, the lo locomotion shots. Those ones are all CGI. Right. But there yeah, were a yeah. lot of moments where it was just standing there, where it stands up and it's like ah, exactly. oh, again, like that well, was legit. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, so I will say this, and I found it interesting. Well, the and the concept, you know, bringing that concept to the uh, to the uh, I guess to this kind of story, it was like, oh, it's intentional. The intentionality of the aliens set it all up so that we would be desensitized to the concept. What Stokely ends up, Clay Duvall's character ends up bringing up. And it was, it was intriguing. And I also liked the flip on it. So for anybody familiar, anybody in the live chat who's familiar with it, obviously a film like this, like The Faculty, riffs off of um, the Puppet Masters, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Invasion of the, you know, like, the pod people, anything where the aliens come down and start replacing people and, and you know, they, they, people lose their identities to become like these alien hosts. Or they become like, you know, aliens themselves. So then you're just replacing the populace. The idea in this one was, was, was interesting. And Nerd Journal brings this up because I was about to bring this up. This movie and disturbing behavior. Okay. Yeah. So disturbing behavior is running along the same lines. It's the idea, instead of in the 60s, when you had things going on like the Red Scare, when you had communism, like you didn't know who, like who was who or what's going on, you know, or even during the AIDS epidemic in the eighties, when that was starting to take fire, the way you're like, you don't know who might be sick or who might be infectious because you can't outwardly see, you know, the danger in that respect. And so you had this idea that people were coming from the outside to take you away, to like re replace your identity. They would steal your identity and replace it with something else. This idea that people were not who they seemed to be. Whereas in this one, for kind of like the millennial age, they change, they flip the script. And it's not so much about having your identity stolen and replaced with, you know, like something else. It's the idea that individual, these individuals don't know who they are. And it's not about having their identity stolen. It's about have, being told what to be. Yeah, it it. Because I mean, when this movie came out, I was I was fourteen. I mean, I was straight up the demographic. Oh, just that... make me feel fucking old. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> on it. But the, the underlying message on this movie is conformity, because you have this disenfranchised generation, and it's the worst nightmare of you have the adults telling you exactly what you should be, and it's like, well, no, I want to be my own person. I want to be this. And it really plays on this field because it's just to the extreme. We're going to make you conform. You have people who weren't 
who weren't they wouldn't show school spirit now suddenly have school spirit and they go to the pep rallies and they go to all this. I I was I was one of those kids that I was like I didn't have school spirit. I hung out with the rockers and played rock music and listened to metal and all this other kind of stuff. And so it's like you're trying to distance yourself away from it. And then it's like you just have this thing that kind of pulls you back in. And it was it just became something that was super relatable. I like this film. I know it, it looks like CW and you have the super pretty cast and it's over lit and all this other kind of stuff. But I it just it holds a special place in my heart just because of the time period that I saw it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a fun movie. I mean, it's it's a like we had a good time watching it. It's entertaining, you know, and it, it does. It has plenty of like freaky moments, you know, um, just like how they take over each other's bodies and stuff. It's, it, it can be pretty gross at times. And it's it's like it delivers, you know. Yeah, I mean, you've got a fantastic cast. I mean, oh, yeah. everywhere you look, you've got you know big names all over the place, especially big names now. A lot of them have gone to, to have pretty huge careers. You've got Robert Rodriguez at the helm, and he knows how to do a, to do a film. I mean, solid director, solid writer. Kevin Williamson is the one who gave a scream when he was working with Wes Craven. I you know I'll trust Kevin Williamson. He still writes extremely well. I mean, he's I mean, come on, Dawson's Creek. Who's with me? Who's with me? Dawson's Creek. I mean, come on. So. You have you you have excellent talent at the helm of this. You have an interesting concept. You have a uh, you know flipping the script on that I thought was really really good. Not to mention decent acting. The acting across the board I thought was pretty good. Even Josh Hartnett. I think Josh Hartnett brought the noise. I liked him in this role. I wish he would play more roles like this. But unfortunately, those started going to Ashton Kutcher. But in this, I dug it because of the identity switch. I liked that concept, and that's why it also works like disturbing behavior. The idea of this is who you're meant to be. And I think that spoke to this generation. So a smart decision on behalf, I think this was uh, Dimension Films, correct? Is this so, Dimension? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was Dimension. I just want to... No, sorry, boom. No, sorry, this was uh, distributed... Oh, yeah, production company Dimension Films, distributed by Miramax. And they know how to. They knew how to speak to this generation, which I thought was really, really cool. So not bad. I just think that... I don't know. Maybe there are films that, oh, where was I going to go with that? It's the idea of the film. It, <laughs> Love for Dawson's Creek. That's fantastic. Thank you, Sir Little Wolf. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dang it. I, told, I, my, I had a thought, and then this happens sometimes. My, tr- my, my mental train hit a penny in the track. It's completely derailed. Where the fuck was I going with that? Eugene, save me. <laughs> I mean, this is. I mean, we talk about in terms of film timing. I mean, this is the timing's perfect on its release. I don't know if the film would be as successful today than it was when it came out in '98 on it. But you, you're getting this generation who you got. You think of grew up listening to like when Nirvana. You have grunge rock, alternative, all sorts of kind of stuff that's coming out, and it just it fits this little niche. That, well, I guess I wouldn't even call it a little niche. You just fit this generation that just works. Sorry, that's where I was going with this. It totally popped into my head. The identity issues in this. And this is what killed it for me. Where as much as I enjoy watching this movie up until the last five minutes, this movie did, and someone actually brought this up, that this was like, um, like uh, The Breakfast Club. Because it did the exact same thing as in The Breakfast Club. And that it betrays its own story or it's its own message at the very, very end. Because at the end of this movie, the idea was, so the, the concept of the idea is that we decide who we are and not somebody else. 
That's a brilliant, I like that message. I decide who I am and what I represent and what I stand for. Even, you know, whatever that entails, I choose who I am. And then rejecting this, you know, this forced conformity, even though it's safe and it's, you know, it, it leads to great things, whatever. You know, I like that idea. Then at the very, very end, everyone in the movie changes their identity. Elijah Wood becomes the popular kid. The popular chick becomes his girlfriend, which he normally wouldn't touch him again. Stokely becomes a preppy chick. She goes from goth to preppy. The drug dealing burnout becomes the star football player. The star football player becomes the nerd. Becomes the nerd. Everyone changes identities at the end because it reveals who they were through this trauma when they were fighting to stay who they were as the movie established them. It's the same shit. What it was like? It, it felt like the betrayal at the end of Breakfast Club when yeah. Ali Sheedy. Right. <laughs> goes from the introvert to the extrovert. You are not Molly Ringwald. You are Ali Sheedy. <laughs> right. But like, but it's like the, the moral of the story is you'll be so much happier though if you do change who you are. And they all change and they are visibly happier. Right. Exactly. And that's what got me. It was the betrayal of their own message. Yeah. Why? Why do we do this? Steve Martin and Plain why would you do this? You know? And, well, you, you take, so you take, like, say, Breakfast Club or you say to the faculty, and it's very easy because you want to, despite how much of a unique you want to be, you want to fit into some group. So it's kind of like, all of a sudden, if all your friends kind of like you're listening to rock music and they're wearing the wallet chain and they're wearing the Jinkos and you may not be 100% about it, but you start playing into that more and more because you want to belong with your friends on it. So you may not even be 100%. This is who you are, but this is not the kind of group you are. You, on some level, you still kind of want to simulate. So and to me, like in the very end, it could be revealing who you really are. Like they oh, really know. did want to be those people all along, and now they finally got a chance to be those people. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, it could be. I mean, and also just from a storytelling point of view, um, you know, every, all these characters wear their identities on their sleeve. So right. we we all want to see a character arc. Okay, well, my arc is I just became that other person. You know, my identity is different. Okay, my arc is complete. You know. I go through an extreme experience and all of a sudden I'm another person and, right. I, and I'm happier now, even though at the beginning of the film, I was railing against this. <laughs> right. I was like, you know, yeah. just, oh, that, that's what got me. I was kind of like, oh, I, I was like, Hughes, why would you betray your characters like that? Yeah. Why would you do this? You set up this fantastic, you know, in the breakfast club all the way up until, and I, that, especially it was most evident with Stokely. The Clea DeVault here. I love Clea DeVault. She yeah. is an underrated actor. She doesn't get the attention that she deserves. Even small bits, like in the movie Zodiac, the nuances she brings to a character role, I love seeing that. I loved her in Carnival, across from Nick Stahl and Clancy Brown. And other. She was magnificent. And for her to, for, for them to do her like that, when she was, she, she is Stokely. That's the name of the character. That is who she is. That is her identity, the things that she loves. And now all of a sudden, she, you know, now she's different so that she can, I don't know. It aggravated me. It stuck, it stuck in my craw. I watched back, I went back and watched this movie again. I'm kind of like, oh God, now I recall why it so annoyed me. Now, you know, the, the shift in that. You, you have to think of it as, you have to think of it as like a teenager. 
because teenagers are shifting and changing all the time. I mean, us as adults, a year from now, we're not, unless something like that super, super traumatic happens to you, you're going to be relatively the same. We're kind of set in who we are. But I mean, when you're 14, you're 15, and one year you can sit there, you could be a cowboy, another year you could be a jock, another year you could be a goth, you can, it can flip flop in terms of where you're going through you those phases. Yeah, exactly. On that, Nerd Journal brings up well, I mean, I think the message is people can be who they want to be when society, society doesn't stereotype them to be a certain type. And I can see that it's just like, and their journals are brought up. Yeah. Because no matter like from SLC punks is no matter what you eventually become, no matter what you eventually become your parents, the same as SLC punks ending. If you can't beat it from the outside, beat it from the inside. And, but that, but that's what's important about SLC punks message is, is selling out what you think selling out is, is the, is what he eventually comes to. He's like, is his idea becoming his parents would be selling out. And then he justifies his selling out. But that's the question. Is selling out what you think it is, really? Is it a betrayal of all things? Or is it just, or were you kind of just rebelling against what works? Because you could. And that's where the juxtaposition of identity comes in in SSC Punk that I thought Matthew Lillard knocked out of the fucking park. Oh, yeah, of course. So, I don't know. I see that there's a lot of defense for the faculty in the live chat. <laughs> um, and I do. I enjoy the movie. I really, really do. But I enjoy it. And I will say this. At least the faculty didn't piss me off like Ninth Gate did. Because the last five minutes of Ninth Gate really fucking pissed me off. And, at least and I, I would like to point out that out of the four movies that we talked about today, this was the only movie we actually stayed on the movie the entire time. On oh, that's true. Was American Werewolf in Paris. looking for any reason to deviate. <laughs> you just want to go to other better. There's got to be better things out there. There has to be better things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think. Well, this, I think this, this one has the most going on. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that you know, just the people behind it, strong yeah. acting, strong, you know, strong casting. Um, Excellent, you know, Kevin Williamson is a good right, good solid writer. And of course, this, you know, Scream came out the year before this, or no, two years before this. So, you know, I mean, he was solid. Kevin Williamson, I think, uh, also didn't, um, no, I, maybe not. Maybe I'm trying to remember. There was something else that he wrote. No, not, not that. Because it wasn't just Scream. I know what you did last summer. Right. Okay. As well. So, and I mean, good stuff, you know, plus, you know, you know, I like Kevin Williamson. I like, I love Robert Rodriguez, grew up watching his stuff. So that's why, that's why I think this one works. Anybody else at the helm, anybody else writing, no way would not have been able to, would not be able to go down this route. So, and they took some chances on some actors that you typically, they're CW style, they're cleaned up, they're probably, you know, they like pretty, I think the pretty, you know, like, you know, Jordana Bruce or Elijah Wood, but really Elijah Wood. Really, kind of like the the CWWB kind of actor type. Nah. I like that they they kind of went. They didn't go to like the stable of those kinds of actors. There's a TV stable. Yeah. They were with individuals who really know how to bring it. Every single one of them has seen success in film, so on. You know, from, from this from that point forward. So especially Elijah Wood, Josh Hartnett. Oh, I loved him in uh, Penny Dreadful. The you know the he was amazing in that. All right, so I want to ask the audience. Since we've got to you know, talk about the faculty, dissecting this one, some issues that I personally have with it that um, apparently are you know, mine and mine alone. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite alien takeover movie? 
So when you think alien takeovers, even you know, whether it's extreme or it's insidious or whatever, but alien takeover movie, what is your favorite? Horror or otherwise, um, but a, a lot of genres do it. A lot of people are probably going to say Independence Day, you know. But I love the alien takeover one. I love, especially when it's insidious and it's, you know, quiet, like, you know, Puppet Masters was good, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, mm -hmm. Donald Sutherland, love that kind of shit. Uh, but definitely let us know down in the comments below or at weekendhorror at gmail.com or in the live chat, which one is your favorite of all the ones available. All right. Well, I see that Johnny has not returned <laughs> as of yet because he was supposed to read the trivia question. So, um, oh, <laughs> oh, here we go. Oh, yes. So Little Wolf, Night of the like Night of the Creeps. Fucking A. Yeah. Night of the Creeps, fantastic. Travis Brown's says Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And I, I like both. It's like the, like the first was like the 58, 1958, and the 1970. Yeah. Both of them are good. Yeah, yeah totally. And uh, Charlie Welch, 10 Clover Leah Lane was pretty odd. I begin like says it. World's End. <laughs> Edgar Wright. Fucking A. That, that one's hilarious. Yes. <laughs> oh, fuck off. Fuck off, you big lamp. <laughs> um, Aaron Reese says Slither, funny and disgusting. Absolutely. Tony Regime says Puppet Masters and the Donald Sutherland Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, let me see what else. We got uh, more love for Invasion of the Body Snatchers from Angel Rivera. Good to see you, Angel Rivera. Stevie B, good to see you, Stevie B, says The Thing. And more love for for Slither. Oh, I loved uh, James Gunn's work. I love Slither. Oh yeah, it's, it's great. Fan. Nathan Fillion, Elizabeth Banks, Michael Rogan. You can't go wrong. With Michael that's Rogan. a fun that's movie. A, that's a fun it movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So All right. Oh, it's her little wolf. Is the blob? Fantastic. No, uh, no, no, no love for Halloween three. <laughs> oh, the. the <laughs> <laughs> So it's a guilty pleasure, yeah. Halloween <laughs> three is sweet. I love season. It of is. Witch. It's it is season of the witch. Bonkers. It is that's bonkers. Why, yeah. That's why I love Halloween. Halloween kills because Halloween kills did that little kind of throwback to Halloween right, three. Right. The three. I love that. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> All right, so you know what? Since Johnny is not back, um, Eugene, do you want to give me uh, the trivia question tonight? Yeah, I'll go ahead. I'll take the trivia. All right, and before we dive into the trivia, and the thing that everybody in the live chat's been waiting for, because we love giving away shit here on Weekend Horror, especially stuff from the store, we have currently right now in the store, we have all of our items, including all of the previous limited edition shirts. We pulled them out of the vault. They're all available in the Teespring store, all of them at the lowest price I could possibly make them, and 15% off of that. This is the opportunity to pick up any items that you want, any of our new drinkware, like our pint glass or our coffee mugs, or of course the new hoodie that we just put out with the limited edition number one uh, artwork on it, featuring the arc of uh, Josh Olson. So all of that's available, dirt, dirt cheap for Christmas, just in time for Christmas time. So you can jump over there and check those. The links are in the description. And of course, we are giving something away from the store. So it will be your choice of something from the store that you can win tonight. So the, the winner of tonight's trivia contest, message us via the Discord or at weekendhorror at gmail.com and let us know what from the store you would like. If it's a shirt, what size, or if it's one of the drinkwares, just let us know. Just get And be sure to send us your shipping information as well so we can get that to you ASAP. All right. So take it away, right. Eugene. What do we got? Okay. I'm get curious. those Google fingers ready. <laughs> on it and the question is what was gerard butler's first horror film role what was gerard butler's first horror film role 
not just film role in general. What is his first horror film role? First person to answer in the chat below wins the prize. I'm always so compelled to start doing the Jeopardy music that will get us like, so demonetized. Like, so quick. It's just like it's just like instinctual. You ask the questions like, and then you know, I was like, nope, nope, don't do that, don't do that. I gotta, I gotta check the live chat and make sure. Oh, nope. You can actually hear it? Sorry about that. Oh, uh, oh we, can, we got somebody. We got it. We got, we it? got it. We got it. We got. Uh, I have. I have Travis Brown first. I also have Travis Brown first checking the live chat via the actual movie or via via the actual uh, via YouTube. So I see Travis Brown first with Tale of the Mummy, and Tale you are correct. Mummy. Travis Brown, Tale of the Mummy. Congratulations. And yes, because Dracula 2000 was his second horror film. So yes, tra- Tale of the Mummy. It's so close. Oh, uh, Chris Jermichel said he already won. He probably put his answer in the chat like he normally does. Uh, let me see. What did he say? Chris, oh, he said Nancy Culp. That's it. I win the t-shirt. Nancy Culp. <laughs> I love it when he does that. Sarcasm um, was so close, though. Like, it was, was milliseconds apart. Sarcasm's Sir, Tale of the Mummy, Charlie Welch and Dracula 2000. Tony Regime said Barney the Dinosaur. Okay. Jim Chu <laughs> also said Dracula 2000. Aaron Reese had it with Tale of the Mummy. Uh, so close, so close, so close. All right. Well, congratulations, to Travis Brown, let me punch him back up. Which where, where'd you at? Where you at? Where to go? 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 There we go. Travis Brown, congratulations. Tale of the Mummy was the correct answer. Travis, I think we do have your shipping details, but if you need to update them, please send them to us, and then choose whatever you want out of the shop, and we will get that printed and sent to you asap. We have all kinds of cool. We have all the new drinkware is in there as well. We got the steel water uh, water bottle, and we also have the new pint glass available with the limited edition number one artwork on it. Let us know which one you like of anything in there, including you know the hoodie or whatever, or one of the limited edition shirts. I'll send it to you ASAP. All right. All right. Nice. And and then I have to give a huge thank you to Jim Ojala. Did I pronounce yeah. it correctly? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us tonight. Jim, do you have anything coming up that you can talk about? Any kind of social media you'd like to share so our audience can follow you and what you have going on? Sure. Yeah. You can follow um, my FX page on at Ojala FX um, on Instagram and uh, uh, facebook.com backslash Ojala Productions on Facebook. And uh, yeah, we have all kinds of different cool things coming up. We have some more surprises. We've been doing a lot of the masks with Slipknot. Um, we have some more surprises with them coming up, uh, which is pretty cool. And um, we just finished this film Consumed. They'll be coming out a little bit later, which is like like a dream project. Really, really cool, freaky stuff. So um, yeah, and then we have like The Deep Ones, which is an H.P. Lovecraft movie that came out recently. That's out. And uh, yeah, there's a few things going on. Um, but uh, yeah, and then also my film, Strange Nature. You can see, uh, you can get more information at strangenaturemovie.com. And uh, it's at Strange Nature Movie on Instagram. And it's available on Amazon Prime and Tubi uh, and everywhere. So enjoy. And definitely, definitely I, will, I will double down on that. Check out Strange Nature. It's available for rent on Amazon Prime. Definitely give that one a watch. It's a really, really good. If you like practical effects, if you like it when it gets down and dirty and really nasty, not to mention it's based on actual events. Go and check out that movie immediately. 
And that's not just a bullshit tagline. This is actually based on real events. So we, we talk about that so often. We yeah. really do. It's like, it's right. like, we'll be like based on actual events. And then our initial reaction is eh, like, like how much this one's legit. Like I looked into it. And it was like, holy fuck. This is something that happened that science has yet to really explain. And I was like, I have to watch this movie. I really do. It's really, it's, it's super present. And we are going to dive more into that. The story behind Strange Nature, what it took to put that film together into our After Dark, in our After Dark session. If you want early access to that After Dark session, become one of our patrons. All the details at patreon.com slash weekendhorror. But that's pretty much it. Thank you so much, Jim. Again, yeah, thank for, you. Uh, Appreciate it. Had a blast. Absolutely. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. And, of course, the After Dark is going to be super, super cool. That brings another episode of Weekend Horror to a close. Thank you all so much for listening. We truly hope that you enjoyed the show. Join us next week. When we look back at the ghostly terror, Dark Remains, the last universal black and white horror, The Nightwalker, sci-fi alien horror in Cyclops, and the nasty indie skins. Serial killers in need of support. I can't believe we're going to go there. We'd like to send a special shout out to all of our amazing patrons who continue to help us make Weekend Horror the incredible success it has become. Thank you all so much. You see your name down there in the banner below. And you know all of that really, really cool artwork we have for the show and our limited edition t-shirts? Weekend Horror artist Joshua Olson has opened up a store with all of his amazing designs. Check out www.badsamurai.store to see all of the latest additions to his shop. He's got all kinds of cool stuff in there. His, his, uh, his style of the of the uh, the ghost king from uh, from Return of the King from the from the mountains uh, the I guess the Army of the Dead is fucking amazing. Check his stuff out. And he um, visit us at weekendhorror.net where you can find links to all of our episodes, our bios, our merch store at Teespring, and of course enter your email for a permanent entry to win a mystery horror shirt every month, courtesy of sixdollarshirts.com. We really love them over there. For more horror entertainment, be sure to follow us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can get the daily splatter, a little bit of horror movie info every day right to your feed. And please like, subscribe, and smash that bell like someone's head caught in a jigsaw trap for all the latest updates from the show. And to be sure to leave us a comment. All those interactions really help us with the dreaded algorithm the true slasher in this story. And lastly, if you truly love what we do here and would like and are able to support our production, you can through our Patreon. We have tiers as low as a dollar a month. That is cheaper than a Friday the 13th throwaway victim. Higher tiers get early and special access, bonus content, monthly horror movies, and can even join us as special guest judges on our bloodbath debates. This month is Krampus versus Jack Frost. Come be a judge. But if Patreon is not your preferred cup of blood, you can always support the show through our PayPal as well. Links to everything, including our Discord community, where you can find film recommendations, trailers, trivia games, horror watch parties, and even interact with us are in the description. And as always, sharing the show with your friends in your local horror community is the absolute best way to help us continue to grow. Thank you all so much for being the greatest audience a horror podcast could ever have. I am JL. And I'm Eugene. And Johnny's over there somewhere. We will see you all next week. And as always, stay scared.